Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. And um, it is the first day of June. Um, so it feels like summer. <laughs> beautiful day in Charlottesville. Yes, yes. It feels empathetical to the, just the world right now. Yes, um, it does. It does. And it is, um, I think, a really challenging time to be a writer, um, but also probably a very worthwhile time. I mean, I think right now we need we need voices. We need lots of different voices to, to speak out. And um, yeah, and the world feels like it's pretty much gone mad. Um, we're still grappling with the pandemic and it's hard to wrap our minds around how many people have it and how many people have died from it. And um, yeah, and our country continues to wrestle with um, racial disparity and inequality and police violence. And so it is a challenging time for sure. Um, are you getting any writing done? <laughs> it's a good question. I am doing some. Um, I am, as I may have mentioned in some other podcast episodes, doing a little bit of songwriting uh, as well as um, finishing a, a solid nonfiction manuscript and, and grappling with some fiction. Um, anyway, the songwriting, I'm, I'm I'm bouncing around with a couple of songs that reflect on this time a bit. I'm from Minnesota. My family still lives there. I have a sister in Minneapolis. I have a sister in St. Paul. So I'm getting um, some of really, they'll speak very candidly to me about, about some of their observations and feelings. And they're informing some of the kind of songwriting stuff right now. But also I'm in between uh, bigger writing projects. And so it's a time for me to be thinking about what next to invest time and attention and energy on. And I'm wondering about maybe some of the things that we're, we're experiencing now as individuals in this country of division, but also extraordinary possibility is informing where I'm, I'm kind of hoping that will that'll settle out into something that it, I can really get my teeth into but I have the um, the Bible book nonfiction with Oxford is I should be getting those page proofs to go through copy edits um, within a day or two which is great and a nice way to focus because it's so straightforward finished, got the novel, the historical fiction back to the editor a couple days ago, but that felt really surreal. She's in New York, and I know she's really in the thick of things yeah. in Manhattan, and now they're facing all of these um, protests that are, that need, that it's an issue that is so long overdue for this kind of national attention, but also really terrifying with the violence and destruction that's accompanying well, yeah, it's very challenging because I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of different sort of things I've heard about right now. Um, you know, I, I feel a real need to work 
on on my writing so as not to just you know lay around or say uh, well what's the point um, yeah. to be productive but then there's a lot of people saying we have to be very compassionate to ourselves and others so expecting a level of productivity from your editor or from yourself is is probably too high a bar right now so you know yeah. understanding what do you need what what can you do to go forward um, I'm, you know, I'm, I've passed sort of 90,000 words and continuing to edit, uh, my novel. And I had my last meeting with my writing group, which always just does the spring and then takes the rest of the year off. And it was great to have that community of writers to check in with, um, to see how everyone is doing and how they're moving forward. Um, the interesting thing is I am writing a, a political book <laughs> although um gun violence until this weekend felt sort of like an issue from 2019 because with everything shut our a number of um you know violent gun offenses have gone tremendously down <laughs> so that does feel like almost it's historical fiction um of course, as soon as everything opens up again, I guess it comes roaring back. I have, I have no idea. So um, that does feel a little like I'm out of step. But I think also writing about what's happening at the this very moment. I mean, I appreciate the, the journalists who are, but I find it very difficult. Because I don't think we have any sort of sense of reflection or, um, or distance. We have just react, to react. Yeah, yeah. And I think it that raises a kind of general question about writing that's worth, worth um, wrestling. And that is, you know, how does one approach in writing sensitive issues or um, moments in time, there's some real benefit to having a little bit of distance from them whether it's emotional distance or temporal, spatial, to get some perspective. Um, at the same time, I, was, I saw a wonderful kind of graphic representation of doing art during COVID and um, now these uh, protests that I really appreciated and it included just keeping one's shopping lists, for instance, <laughs> Um, and a few little just sort of sketching out something that represents the day uh, without necessarily the pressure of making it into, you know, the great American novel or, uh, you know, gallery worthy visual art exhibit, but simply to note for oneself that can, that can um, translate into something ahead. Uh, these moments in whatever capacity. But I really appreciate your observation, Meredith, about not expecting oneself to generate mm -hmm. a really groundbreaking, earth-shattering observations that of our time in the time itself. Right, and I think that there's so much, so many um, conflicting feelings uh, with all of this um, that I think you know, we both um, are incredibly sympathetic with the frustration 
shown by the protesters and their anger. It's completely yes. justified, but then find our hearts breaking when we see cities on fire, cities that we love, you know, and businesses being destroyed. And so I think it's, there's so, there's, it's very hard to sort of take all those feelings and, and create something that feels like at the moment, this is the right thing to say. And I think some people are opening their mouths and saying things and then getting shot down for it just by saying they have compassion um, instead of being angry enough. And I think so. I think there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of things still need to be worked out. And, and I know that I can confidently say I'm definitely not a spokesperson for either side at this point. I can't step forward and say anything with any kind of authority. <laughs> I can only observe and, and feel you know, so much sympathy. Yeah, yeah, and I think what you can, though, say with authority is your own feeling, yeah. your own observations in this time. And that you do, I think every individual has that authority. Yeah. And um, I, it, it's a shame when any voice is squelched as yeah, any, well, ugh, I don't yeah. want to talk in too many generalizations, but I would urge you to, yeah, really treat with respect to your own experience at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also feel just like with the pandemic, rather um, sheltered here in Charlottesville. Yeah. We have not always been sheltered by every experience, but this one very sheltered. And the fact is we had protests this weekend and they were incredibly peaceful. And our um, our police force, from what I've been told and what was observed from folks, had, was very sympathetic and respectful. And so there was no violence. So I can only look at pictures from the media and from other places and say, oh, wow, I, that's not our experience here. Um, and so I feel very lucky. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely really complicated. And um, summer is definitely a time when frustrations boil over, um, as I've, I've used it in my fiction before. Hot and humid cell. Turn the yeah. heat up and things happen. So. I don't think this is the end of it, sadly. Um, and until we see real reform, it won't be either. Yeah. You know, and I to. also think there's a space for, or at least I'd love to talk about having space for um, other kind of writing too, that's not necessarily reflecting these times. I think whatever one's experience, whatever one is carrying, it, with some kind of personal truth, whether comedic or romantic, or it, and it doesn't have to have to do with this time, will nevertheless have to do with this time by virtue of being in it. Um, well, yeah, yeah, it's there's so much to unpack, and, and we'll just continue to talk about it. Um, but I do want to bring in our guest today. Who, yes. Um, I'm just delighted to chat with. Um, she's a, a good friend. She, we, she lives in Charlottesville with us. Her name is Sharon Harrigan. Um, and should I give her bio now or wait for her and give it in front of her? 
Oh, I think we could fire away. Okay. Sharon, Tell us about Sharon Harrigan. She's wonderful. She is wonderful. Um, she teaches writing at Writer House, um, just as we have done. Um, she teaches a memoir class that's incredibly popular. Um, she has published over 50 essays, reviews, and short stories. Her work has appeared all over New York Times, Modern Love, etc. And her debut memoir, Playing with Dynamite, um, came out a couple years ago uh, from Truman State University Press and very enjoyable read. Um, and her debut novel, Half, is coming out this month. And that's mostly what we're going to talk about it's, uh, from University of Wisconsin Press. And she has worked um, as an editor for years and is just a very thoughtful um, thoughtful writer, very supportive of the writing community. And um, so we're delighted. So let's go call her up. Great. Hi, Sharon. Thanks so much for joining us. Meredith. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you virtually. Um, yeah. We're doing this on Zoom, even though I, our listeners can't see, but it's um, despite living not that far away from you, Sharon, probably, I don't know, a mile and a half. <laughs> uh, I've only seen you on Instagram, <laughs> I think, since, um, since, I don't know, since before all this began. So um, it's great to see you. And um, we told everyone just a little bit about you, but um, if you could tell us sort of about becoming a writer, we always like to ask people, you know, did you know when you were four? Did you find out when you were in your 20s? How, how, what's your story about becoming a writer? Um, yeah, so my story is that I sort of had an early start and then had um, a... Uh, I, I stopped for a long time, for decades, and then I'm now sort of like a late bloomer. So I've got like a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I started writing uh, pretty seriously uh, when I was 14, but only poetry. And uh, I started taking, <clears throat> and I'm sorry about my voice, uh, I started taking classes uh, at the Detroit Institute of Arts <clears throat> and uh, poetry classes uh, for adults. So I got special permission. Um, and there, it was pretty transformative. They had also these writers who came from New York City every month and read from their books. And I was really, um, that, that was a really turning point for me. And I decided I wanted to be a poet and go to New York City. And so I only applied to colleges in New York City. And um, I wanted to study with Kenneth Koch, who is at Columbia, and I did. And um, I had some... Uh, poems published in literary magazines when I was pretty young. I had a, a reading at the Detroit Institute of Arts when I was 18, which I think was the youngest ever. Um, and then I, and then after college, I got married and became a mother when I was pretty young and then became a single mother and uh, was you know working as an editor and trying to make enough money to pay rent in New York City, so doing freelance jobs on the side. And it didn't seem like uh, I had the time or money to write anymore. Writing seemed like a luxury. So I didn't do it for a long time. And then finally I uh, got remarried and my life settled down and I realized that I was reading more novels uh, and I was reading poetry and that I wanted to write prose. 
And then it didn't take too long to realize I didn't know how, that actually learning to write poetry has nothing to do with learning to write prose. In fact, kind of the opposite, it was an obstacle. I had to learn this thing, you know, called uh, plot <laughs> and structure um, that is not just all about, you know, images and rhythms. So uh, I eventually got an MFA pretty recently. I graduated in 2012 in fiction. And then, uh, I still uh, was, you know, kind of flitting around uh, to genre to genre and ended up uh, having my first book be a memoir, nonfiction. So now finally, after all of that, um, I'm coming out with my debut novel. And it's, yeah, it's a pretty circuitous route, but here I am. <laughs> well, um, I can always tell, I think when I read a novelist, if, they're, um, if they have a background in poetry, and I think that really came out. You've you have a delight in the words and your word choices, and um, so I, I always find that very interesting because I'll often ask people. You're saying it wasn't wasted time. No, no, nothing is ever wasted. <laughs> nothing is ever wasted. Thank you. Um, and your your debut novel. I mean, it comes out this month. Is it just a week away? Uh, June 9th, which is a week from tomorrow. June 9th, June 9th, okay. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm still practicing. Kristen and I are practicing. Today is June. I know. <laughs> Today is Monday. Hard to, hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah, it blows my mind. The novel, as Meredith pointed out, is so rich in language. There's nary a cliche in it, that is for sure. You'd have to look hard and fast for one. The, um, another thing that struck me about it is how sensuous it is, that it is, um, you draw from and evoke the way things smell, feel, taste, um, with the same kind of rich, uh, it's just the same kind of rich language as um, with anything visual. And so... It's, a, it's a kind of a whole body experience reading this. And I loved, I wondered about too, how you were able to marry the, um, the restraints and the possibilities, if you will, of plot and having, and this is a book that's a real page turner. Like you really want to find out what happens. Uh, at the same time, it is a deep dive into looking and feeling and experiencing the world with all of its richness. So you, there are these um, passages that are um, sort of phrase following phrase that are poetic, whether it's metaphorical language, anyway, that um, just draws out and draws in the atmosphere of the story at the same time as driving that plot forward. Well, let's have her um, talk to us a little bit about half because it is. Yes. I, I, we are, work on your pitch for us. I mean, you're about to oh, launch into your about? Uh, launch into yeah. your book tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. This is what I sometimes say. Uh, it's about two identical twins who speak in one voice <clears throat> until they discover a secret that breaks them in half, uh, until their voice breaks in half. The, the we voice, the plural, first person plural, becomes the I voice, first person plural. Um, so that's one of the things that it's about. Um, 
and it's about uh and the, the reason i chose to, to to write the book is that i wanted to explore how far you could go with two people being close together how intimate they could be uh, non-romantically um platonic relationship and of course you know siblings share this genes they share environment and so i wanted to see how much they else they could share and um so that was the original idea um but then you know after these other characters came in and the father becomes this big character it also became about how they uh they bond together even more because they really have to protect each other from him and their mother isn't protecting them so uh it, it becomes about how they react to him and in the end they actually kind of react we find out that they react differently and that is not too much of a spoiler but what breaks them apart um and i hope that it's also about use the we voice shows that it's really um can be something that brings us together when we minimize our differences and uh sort of speak in a way that smooths out all the rough edges of what what we disagree about but that um that sometimes actually suppressing our differences can can be uh claustrophobic and so uh, i think some of the um feeling i was trying to get across in the book is that it's this wonderful gift for them to be able to speak in one voice but it is also claustrophobic and it's also kind of a relief when they're finally able to separate and to not keep suppressing their differences because they are actually they, another like almost spoiler but they are actually pretty different people in the end different personalities but that's all kind of been um something they that they uh at the cost of being uh, of being this so close and protecting each other was uh of um, kind of erasing their um their their true idiosyncrasies um so i don't know at, at a, i think at a time now when um uh, we're so divided. I mean, it's hard to not think about what's happening in the world. Uh, there's so much, uh, uh, there's people are protesting and there's violence, um, police brutality and violence, and there's people responding with peaceful protests and also with violence. And um, I think the idea of how much we speak as a community and how, how much we are willing to suppress our differences to come up with some common goals and, um, and also as a country, how much we're willing to sort of put the individual behind the, uh, the, 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 the community, um, that those are, those are big questions. Um, I don't mean to get too philosophical about it, but I do think that, um, it's not just a story about you know two sisters it's supposed it's supposed to represent something bigger and, and, and be something that we all uh, wrestle with this idea of our individual selves versus our collective identity oh are those some of the things that you thought about when you started the book in the first place um Oh, I don't know. It seems like so long ago. I started the book thinking about my relationship with my brother when I was growing up and how we were so close and how that was, especially because we had this thing, we had to protect ourselves because our father, our father died when we were very young. And so we 
kind of who was it was a coping me- mechanism for survival and so um so i wanted to reflect that but i wanted to exaggerate it because that's what fiction can do is take something real and heighten it and make it sharper and more in focus um, by exaggeration um but i guess now i i mean i just wrote a an essay for lit, lit hub literary hub about the the wee voice and i um listed 10 wee voice novels um and so i've been thinking about why why would someone write in the wee voice and all these 10 novels it's for a different reason but uh, but i'm fascinated by it so um, yeah, i would think it would be technically so challenging because you also include like the ways they're thinking but it's the we thinking which is wow um i love the way that you found though in that story some of these kind of truths for our time in our intro we were touching a little bit on those kinds of things and it's so it's really interesting to see how you're working through this story using that we voice and reflecting as you so eloquently did on on difference and and um, coming together is is reflected in the story that whether or not you started writing it with some of those things in mind um yeah i guess the answer to your question is no i wasn't thinking of any of that when i started but um but i I love how stories take on lives of their own right yeah yep and it and it is so true of this story that it shows those very things um that you just noted but maybe you didn't have in mind when you were starting it yeah i also i thought it was fascinating um near the beginning they sort of there's this longing to be even closer than identical twins that to be siamese twins and i just thought that was so uh, interesting because i think every um i think you know just as you're talking about with your your brother i remember with my best friend sort of that longing for even being closer like we're practically sisters you know that you keep uh taking the intimacy closer and that, you know, longing. And I just remember being always being fascinated by identical twins um, and the way that they both, <clears throat> they want that and they love that intimacy, but often they're pushing each other and trying to say, I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. And how we both sort of look with fascination on both things, you know. Look, they have different haircuts and they're dressing differently or look, they, they dress identically and both are kind of fascinating. So I, I loved how you brought that out. And, um, and you include a transgender character who is they, an individual who goes by the pronoun they, which is also so intriguing to throw into the mix. Of yeah, well, that happens in college and the girls are outsiders in a way. Um, and partly maybe they don't know why maybe it's because they seem so self-sufficient the two of them maybe it's because they um they i don't know they there's they have these kind of almost uh they're very beautiful they have these kind of godlike qualities um anyway but then when they meet someone who's also an outsider they feel an immediate um uh, connection um also i really couldn't help playing with the pronoun idea because yeah. pronoun is so important to the book. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, so you started off with the we voice almost immediately. Was that your, yeah, that was kind of the starting point. Um, and I would say that I, what came later was the plot. <laughs> Yeah, started, you know, started, you know, like the poet me 
started and then the 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 novel writing me came later came later after yeah. some study. Put the backbone <laughs> in yeah <laughs> and how long were you had you when was the original idea like how many years ago yeah well it's it's kind of hard to calculate because it, it, this novel grew from a story and this story was published in 2012 so eight years ago yeah. um but in between then and now i published a memoir and did all kinds of other things yeah so i wasn't working on it constantly yeah yeah no but i always find that interesting especially when you go back to um, look at something that you started that you still uh, still niggling at you but never got finished i always find that process so interesting because you go back and and now you're going back as you which is you know eight years later you you're in a different place yeah, I was kind of afraid to look at it. I hadn't looked at it for a while when my publisher wanted me to, um, to, to say, okay, here's your last chance. Send in the final version. Make whatever changes you want. And I hadn't looked at it for a while. And I, uh, I, I was afraid I wouldn't like it anymore or that it, it would be something that, you know, a younger me wrote. Um, but I was, I, I actually, it still, still resonated. Oh, good. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm so glad that folks will be able to read it, that it's out into the world, going out into the world in a week anyway. And what was it like going um, from or moving between memoir and fiction, writing that nonfiction and very personal nonfiction with a, with a really interesting novel? Oh, it's so much better to be launching a novel than a memoir. It's... Um, you know, I can I, I can just tell people I made it all up and I'm not going to worry about hurting people's feelings. The people who are the characters on the page, um, that was really a hard um, part of writing, a, or not a writing a memoir, but of publishing a memoir. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it, it was interesting as uh, you know, Chris and I both read your memoir and so we were seeing interesting echoes of your own experience although obviously the characters were different characters so it wasn't like we were sitting there reading it and going oh the twin is you and this is just like your dad but just noticing a lot of things that you brought forward from your own experience that really enriched the novel um obviously the dad doesn't die when you're when they're kids so <laughs> do it imagine you know, that going forward but the hunting and a lot of the 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 um the culture from from your growing up that was it was interesting to see you use that it felt incredibly authentic because obviously it was but uh yeah the, the the dad is not my dad but he's um he he's sort of a mythic character in the way that my dad felt like a mythic character because my dad died so young, I didn't really know him. So I actually let this character in the novel embrace that mythic quality and to kind of take it to an extreme. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of and ways in which I took some kernel of something that was true and just exaggerated it, heightened it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I said it where I grew up, which, you know, I think a lot of novelists do that. They there's some vivid, vividness to where we grow up and we keep revisiting that place in our fiction. I, that's very, I mean, it's very challenging every time I try to sit something that I don't feel uh, a tremendous connection to. I mean, you don't want to write every single book 
<laughs> from your hometown. <laughs> but at the same time, as soon as I start writing somewhere else, I feel a little bit unmoored. Like, uh, like how will I, I mean, happily I've lived multiple places, but I think it's, it's interesting when you're writing something, I, then I start worrying that it won't feel authentic. It's kind of the experience that I have, you know, reading anything set in Charlottesville, someone who doesn't know the area you know, or, or in New York where you're like, really? <laughs> no one goes to Times Square. Come on. <laughs> or whatever it is. I think it's just, I think it's fascinating. So, yeah. Um, so did you, going from memoir to fiction, um, were you writing both of these simultaneously or you were dipping in and out or how, how was that for you? Um, I don't, I, well, I wrote this story before I even thought of writing a memoir and I had the idea, the story won a few awards and it got some, um, attention then. So I thought maybe I could stay with this a little while and turn it into a novel. So I had that idea and maybe I did, I started working on it before the memoir but the memoir then um had this ticking clock because i wanted to be able to talk to people frankly while they were still alive um and i wanted to get these stories from my mom who seemed like uh she was wanting to tell me things that she had been waiting for me to be ready to hear and so it felt like i had to stop everything else and and do the memoir while it was while i had the opportunity to do it um, and then after that, I uh, returned to the to this novel, and um, it's yeah, everything in my experience it takes so much longer than I ever think it's going to take. <laughs> so um, at this point, it feels uh, also this novel. I I mean, I've written many different versions of it. I remember when I first sent the first draft to my agent, and she said something like, "Oh." I had a novel kind of like the experimental like this and from one of my clients and after about like five or six revisions, you know, he was able to get it to a place where he, it could get published. And I remember thinking she is insane, five or six revisions. And then like seven revisions later, <laughs> she says, yep, I'm ready to send it out. <laughs> so, well, that's the thing. I mean, I know you teach teach writing and it, it is a fascinating thing to see because I do feel like it's kind of like the you know whatever the thing that you you want to be honest with fledgling writers but at the same time it's such a like it's sort of like you know turning it up to 11 where you say they say well how many drafts and you're like um more than, yeah, <laughs> more than nine or whatever and they'll be like like all the way through and you're like yeah, and sometimes you throw out two thirds of it. Oh, in my case, over, each, each you... draft was really completely different because I had, yeah, I had a draft that was just sort of like self-contained stories. Each one, there was no through line. I had a draft that was set in the near future that had lots of sci-fi elements in it. You know, each one was really quite distinct. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I also just say like the thing that is so important to remember is that each one is necessary to get to where you are. Yes. And Sometimes. That, and that kind of keeps me, <laughs> that keeps me um, hopeful as I go through them all, that sometimes you have to go and make a, go into a blind alley and make a huge mistake 
in order to get to the next draft. Because if you didn't do that, then you would wonder. Um, then, I mean, part of me also wonders, is there a moment where you start just, you know, sit down and you write a whole book and then you're done? And I don't think so. That will ever be for me. I mean, possibly well, yeah, somebody does. In, in, my, in my experience, it was also like I had to please my agent. And so I never was quite sure if like, is this version, the version that is now out in the world, the best of the seven versions? It's different, but um, I don't know. I kind of liked all those other versions too. <laughs> well, maybe in another, um, I don't know, incarnation universe, or maybe in this one of our world, you could put all seven of them out and let the public decide. Because <laughs> um, they do, I mean, gosh, I can't get out of my head a sci-fi version. Wow. Well, and, yeah, near future, not like... Okay. hundreds of years from now <laughs> yeah well and and you actually start it a little bit in the future yeah 10 years in the future mm-hmm. yeah so that I, I wonder what all that would look like um that it just was a wonderful kind of frame for the story um but yeah how was it like psychologically and emotionally to tackle it again like from the get-go with a new version you had an agent's interest. You had your agent's interest and support in doing that. But um, especially if you felt like the others were strong versions, how was that to get started again and change it up again? Um, yeah, it just, it, I don't know, you just have to immerse yourself in that universe of your characters and the world you created. And um, you just have to do the work. I don't know. Uh, you have to take pleasure in the work if it's not you know if you don't if you don't enjoy the process then you're in the wrong business because there's yeah. lots of process <laughs> yeah. yeah i've stopped. i've been working on a novel for a long long time and i from the outside of it like if i'm going about doing other things in my life I, it's sort of demoralizing to think about getting back into it but every time i get back into it i just sink into it again yeah, and it's kind of fun. <laughs> and I step out, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how long am I going to work on this? And forever, maybe. Um, but the, yeah, the work is. It's yeah, a, it has it has to be its own pleasure, its own reward. Yeah, there's also a different um, experience with working with an agent or an editor, and I think um, you could approach it of like, oh no, they're squashing, you know, my creativity by demanding, I don't know, whatever. But if you're re- working with the right person, I think um, they make it better and that there's yeah, a trust yeah. factor. As long as you really do yeah. surround yourself with talented oh, I, I, yeah. people, then you're going to get there and it's going to be better in the end. But th- that doesn't mean it's not painful. <laughs> I, I, I have tremendous respect for editors and agents who do editing. And yes, they make work better. Absolutely. And I'm really really grateful for all the work they do but I mean I think that there's there's a difference with the agent that you've picked to work with that you have tremendous respect for and who helped make it make it better and the difference between having someone randomly read it and say oh they should be older why is it in the future and then you going and editing just because someone told you oh, something and yeah, I think that yeah. there's a think that, that some people will just sort of try to have all this feedback and then they try to react to all the feedback as opposed to saying this there's a purpose to it 
Oh yeah, and and earlier in my writing life, I was so um, susceptible to doing everything anybody asked me to do, and then of course you end up with this Frankenstein monster because every people are asking you to do contradictory things. Um, you know, too many cooks spoiling the soup. Um, I had some, um, you know, I had some writer friends who read drafts too, whose advice I did not necessarily take. I think like one person's advice was just. This should be twice as long and i thought i can't do that <laughs> and one person said really it should stop at the end it should only be about childhood and i thought well that would be a different book um so you have to you have to of course use what's useful and not use what's not useful and also i think um the sort of yeah the advice i try to give is that um you should listen respectfully and then try to understand why they're giving that particular advice. So instead of just saying, okay, I'll just have them have it end in childhood, say to yourself, what is it about their childhood that was more appealing to this reader than their adulthood? And can I possibly make their adult scenes more appealing in that way? You know, and or say, oh, well, maybe it's supposed to push them off, push them away that we're supposed to love that we closeness and then we are you know repelled by the by when they get separated and we're so mournful just like they are and that's supposed to happen and then you can just say okay job well done as opposed to saying oh i have to do what they said you know and i think that's um you know that's the thing i mean as I said, the, the the example i like to bring up is working with an editor and working with an agent on my second book and her saying that, that the story felt too cold, like it felt motionless. And uh, emotion was always something that I have struggled with in my writing because I started in screenwriting and you're supposed to allow the actors to project that, right? So you're dealing with moving people around and here's this thing and they're gonna fill in that emotion later. And so, so I was, you know, it sent me into this tailspin and then um, I actually, decided to change my book from early spring to summer. <laughs> and someone said, well, that's not what she meant. And I said, but it was really helpful for me because you turn up the heat in the summer and everything, emotions get more, uh, you know, um, stronger and, and just the process of having to rewrite it from spring to summer, I think injected more emotion. So whatever you have to do. Yeah, what you said, the process of having to rewrite it is that sounds like um, someone told me once you need to, like when you go in and you want to revise something, you need to make it molten again. Because like you get to the end of a revision and it feels like, I don't know, like it's a pot that you baked, right? It's now it's, it's not, it's not clay that can be molded or I'm using a lot of different metaphors. But anyway, it has, it has to be something that you perceive is not finished you have to like kind of break it again to get back into it right or, or convince yourself because I think often people will revise by sort of moving paragraphs around or they'll try to preserve their original prose I love your idea like making it you know yeah making it something pliable again um and how you do that I mean I've just heard like a million different ideas but it is it's a, it really has to happen I think I I usually do a helicopter edit because that's the way I can sort of see it, which is to say like, all right, what's happening in each chapter from this level, as opposed to getting down and doing this, like moving a word around. Cause that's not, that's a later edit. That's not a, 
first or second draft edit. So, yeah, I call it my big, the sort of big picture edit, which is a little bit more structural. And um, yeah, so speaking of structure, Sharon, how did you um, arrive at this? Was was this structure pretty much in place once you recognized the need for a plot? it's it's not like it didn't have any plot at all to begin it was more like it was episodic i mean it still is episodic but it has a backbone of plot so that those episodes are all leading to something they're leading to there's a mystery and there's a question that wants to the readers want answered and each episode kind of takes you further along towards Mm -hmm. solving that mystery answering those questions so it, it was um I forgot what your question. Oh, how did I arrive at the structure? So my original structure was just um, each uh, chapter was uh, one year in the characters' lives. It still is that way, kind of like the movie, um, Richard Linklater movie, Boyhood. Um, But also, um, so it still is that way from the age of five to 18, each chapter is one year. Uh, but the, 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 the backbone of this kind of murder mystery is something that I, um, that I, that I added on kind of in a rather late draft. And actually that really opened everything up for me that, um, it's like, it gave it, it gave it this something to, uh, give it a structure that actually I could, A forward momentum, which I think it really needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, it is a page turner. I wanted to find out what happened. And yeah, you kept me going right to the very end and, and on. I loved reading your acknowledgments following the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that some people look at structure or plot as something that's sort of like tyranny, you know. Um, but sometimes... You know, sometimes having to abide by a structure, an existing structure, like writing genre fiction or, um, you know, writing a sonnet can sometimes really open up your creativity because there's something you don't have to worry about anymore. It's kind of like decorating your kitchen. You're like, well, it has this function, right? So I can't get away from the fact that I need a sink and a stove and a refrigerator, whatever. But then after that, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? What color are you going to paint it? And you're allowed to then become really creative because you have that structure. So I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other works I've written since then in the work, the book I'm working on now, I, I'm putting this structure in right at the beginning. <laughs> then it's not going to take seven drafts. <laughs> be much more efficient. I, I mean, I... I'm not saying I'm not this is not saying anything I just think it's I think it's really interesting because you're you're doing something experimental which is harder than someone just saying oh I'm gonna write this kind of book and here are the guidelines for writing that kind of book so I think that creating your own structure is inherently more complicated you know it's just gonna be hard just like saying it's gonna be the wee voice how does that work you don't have a million books to read. Apparently you found 10. <laughs> I have to read your LitHub article to find out what they are. Yeah, there is. A, I have not found one, though, that does what I do, which is um, convinces the reader that the wee voice is actually two people speaking 
yeah. together simultaneously. I've never seen that. And so that is kind of exciting to me that I think I've done something nobody else has done. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think, um, I, I just think it's so, I think it's exciting and I think it is, it's, it's more challenging to try to do something new. And I think you really did an amazing job and I'm excited that people are going to be able to read it soon. Um, and I'm sorry, we don't have a fabulous launch party where we all can be in person. What is it like to do a book tour during a pandemic? What are you, what are you up to? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, um, so my book launch in Charlottesville is just, is in the process now of migrating from in-person to online. So it will be um, co-sponsored by New Dominion Bookshop, our wonderful local independent bookshop in Charlottesville, and Writer House, which is our literary center, um, which is where I teach. So they will co-sponsor, and that'll be my, my, it'll be on Zoom, that will be my launch in Charlottesville. I'm also doing a, my, my launch in Michigan, where I'm from, uh, was supposed to be in person at Literati in Ann Arbor, and that's also going to be um, on Zoom. And then I have a, a few other online um, events happening. Um, and I have been going to some online events for friends I know. Um, and they're, um, they can, I mean, they, they can be very fun and, you know, people can go from all over the world. So that's a huge benefit. Um, but um, nothing is the same as being in person. And so there's, um, you know, there's, there's a loss for all of us. I mean, for all the things that are happening in the world and all the suffering that's going on, um, it seems like a, it seems a small thing to complain about, you know, my, my launch has to be virtual. Um, but, but it is also, it is also something that, um, you know, I looked forward to a long time and, you know, it's, it's not exactly how a, well, yeah, I think, it to be. yeah, I think more than just the launch itself is sort of missing that community, having a chance for all of us to, you know, give you a hug. What are those anymore? Um, and <laughs> say congratulations, because, you know, we've heard, you know, we've we've followed you through this path of, you know, getting to this point of, of your baby book now <laughs> being born. <laughs> and so it, it, it's that's a sad that's sad to not be able to see you in person. But. The other hand, you're right. Zoom does allow people to come from everywhere, and then we become part of a larger community of writers that can, you know, join in and aren't cut out just because they don't live here. <laughs> so it could be a positive thing. Well, we just want to thank you so much. For... Oh, well, thank you for reading my book. Thank you for reading both of my books. My goodness. <laughs> it was a pleasure. We can't read whitely to read the next one whenever that comes along. <laughs> oh, my, my no agent's sending it out. So, no yeah, just oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> send me some good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes are you. Um, but, you know, it was really fascinating to read. It was it was just a lot of fun. Um, and. Even I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was more fun because we know you or uh, whatever, but I think I think anyone's going to really enjoy it. Um, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's exciting to have, you know, it be a separate thing for me. It's been in my brain for a long time and now it's out there. It's starting to be out there a little bit in the world and people are reading it. So that's su it's super, super cool. That's really. awesome. So thank you so much. Thank, well, thank you, you, Meredith. Thank you, Kristen.
Well, it was just really wonderful to catch up with Sharon and um, she, I know she's going to be doing some virtual events, which, you know, bad news. We don't get to see her in person, but good news. Lots of other people who, you know, don't live in Charlottesville or any place that she was going to tour can hop on and, and, um, that's right. And for Charlottesvillians who can't make the zoom meeting in Charlottesville, they can go to the one in Michigan. Exactly. Why not? Why not? And, um, you know, this has been, it's been, um, so tough for so many businesses. Um, but you know, from what I'm hearing, a lot of people have stepped forward. I know I've put in orders at new dominion, uh, for books, um, to try to keep them going during this, terrible time so that when on the other side we can have all these things that we love and hopefully we can let go of some of these things that we don't love so much (laughs) yeah Yeah. more power to the local bookstore well it was so great to have her have her tell us a bit about the writing of half and um reflecting a little bit on her memoir playing with dynamite sharon harrigan what a wonderful wonderful Um, writer and um and you know for everyone i've heard has taken her class is not you know you know not not hard to imagine that she is also a a great teacher and yeah yeah really cares so much about trying to get um a writer writer's intention helping a writer with what they are trying to do come onto the page and that is that is just um it's a very challenging thing, I think, for a teacher to do as opposed to, as she's talking about, that the advice that you get sometimes when you're in a draft mode, which is not actually useful advice, but it's somebody projecting onto your story. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, um, you had some great reflections on how to handle that kind of critique that is looking for what maybe would be helpful in a comment that on the face of it won't really translate well into edits. But it was, yeah, also interesting to hear her talk about her writing journey, um, starting out with such um, passion and success, commercially even, or in terms of publishing and getting recognition for her poetry, and then taking that break that I think a lot of working mothers do of, of finding that the demands of the days um, prohibit the kind of writing that you might mm-hmm, mm-hmm. feel called to do, but then to return to that with such, um, while well, having worked as an editor too, I imagine that has informed some of the ways that she has um, developed the writing. But this book itself, writing in the that first person plural and um, yeah, finding finding the structure for the story all so interesting. And then her reflections on that business of um, the unifying voice, I thought was so beautiful. I'm also, it just, it just sort of restores a lot of my faith in our publishing industry to see that a book that's different and that is doing really challenging and interesting new things finds a place. And that yes. she has an agent that isn't destroying that vision but trying to make it you know into something that she can sell but not into something that's just this is totally commercial and we're taking away all the things that make it unique so that was really positive to hear to hear that as well well we have come to the end of a another podcast and 
um, I will see. I mean, usually in July we say, oh, maybe we should take a break because it's the summertime. But um, this is a different uh, world we live in. <laughs> yes, summertime. So, so we can be thinking about gathering again. So gathering again and having another guest come on. Um, I find our guests to be tremendously inspiring. And um, so in, it's so interesting to hear about other people's approaches and, yeah, and how they came how they come to the page, so. Yes. Thank well, you. it's always good to chat with you too, Meredith. And oh, good lovely. luck with your writing. Yes, and, um, and it's great to, just to connect and um, remind ourselves of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And um, I look forward to talking to you again next month. Sounds great, onward.